Well, good morning, Woodland Hills. <clears throat> good morning, congregation. Good morning, Podgregation. On this in Minnesota, Bolomi Super Bowl Sunday. Hallelujah. How many of you guys got plans for the Super Bowl? We don't have a very big Super Bowl crowd here, I'm gathering. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the Bengals versus the uh, Rams, right? You corrected me last night. I thought it was Ravens or something like that. Anyways, I'm Greg Boyd, a teaching pastor here. It's really good to see you all here this morning and just to know that you guys on uh, Podgregation, our podcasters, are, are tuning in, sharing this moment. I want to first uh, thank Cedric for the job he did last week. Was that not fantastic? Amen. Thank you, Cedric. Uh, he, this guy is such a gift to our church in so many ways. Just appreciate him. I, I want to double down on what Shauna was saying about this blood drive. Okay, uh, you know, I know we do a lot of asking around here, don't we? Like blanket donation, this learnathon, and uh, a lot of things to give towards because that's what the people of God are supposed to do, right? We're supposed to just be pouring out towards others, so that's why we do this. And now all those other accounts, it was like, yeah, 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 we're hitting our goal, and then the blood drive is seventeen. <laughs> uh, but I really think the goal of five hundred pints is is doable. And it's, here's the thing. Uh, we're called to imitate Jesus, right? Uh, we're called to live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. He shed his blood for us. Here's an opportunity where we literally can shed blood for the lives of others. <laughs> this would be something that the people of God just jump on board with. Um, and it's, and, and it's really not that great of a sacrifice, but, but life can be at stake. You can save a life by taking an hour of your time and, uh, and uh, giving blood. And so I really want to encourage you to do this. Um, and it's not that big of a sacrifice in that, I mean, I've d done this a number of times. And um, it's a little prick like you get with any kind of shot. And then you sit still for 15 minutes. And then afterwards, sit still for another 15 minutes and drink some orange juice and get replenished. And you're good to go. So I really encourage you to look up the lo location nearest you that you can donate blood towards. And, and uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks here, uh, do that. Let your blood be shed for the life of others. Amen. And finally, I want to just kind of reiterate something that Cedric uh, addressed last week and that Delon mentioned here this morning. And uh, we need to keep the, the loved ones of uh, Amir's family uh, in, um, in prayer. Um, this young black man who was shot last week. And there's a lot to sort out here, but, but it, it's, none of us would disagree that this was a, just a terrible, terrible tragedy. Uh, Amir did not deserve to die. And... Um, so, so be in prayer for all his, his, the loved ones of Amir, the family of Amir. Be in prayer that, that peace and justice, we need both, would just hover over the Twin Cities here. Um, and, and, and let's be in prayer that, that those who are our leaders and who are in the decision-making positions, that they would have the wisdom uh, to look at this package and ask, what is broken here? <laughs> Something's broken. Uh, and, and, and give them the wisdom to how, how to fix this so it doesn't keep on repeating itself like an endless broken record. Amen? Be in prayer that that comes to an end. So today, I have a message that I, I really, I don't do this often, but I, I really felt like the Holy Spirit uh, gave me a word that I'm supposed to share right at the beginning of this. And, and the word is just this. Please listen carefully and closely and with an open heart to what I'm going to be sharing here this morning. Because um, God wants to set a lot of people free this morning. 
And many of those who need to be set free don't know they're in bondage. So listen carefully, closely, and with an open heart to what I'm going to be sharing here this morning. What I'm going to be sharing here this morning is about forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness. Uh, Forgiveness is just about letting go of a debt. Letting go of a debt. When someone wrongs you or wrongs uh, someone that you love, you care about, whether it's your spouse or a friend or a child, it, it creates a sense of indebtedness. You owe me. You, you, you stole part of our dignity, part of our honor, part of my, 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 my personhood. And, and so there's a debt that's created when someone wrongs you. And um, that's where we get that sense of, I want to make them pay. I want to get even. You owe me. Forgiveness is just... Letting go of that debt. Forgiveness is just retiring your debt collector department. Uh, It's letting go of that you owe me. You turn it all over to God, who alone is the judge of uh, humankind. Forgiveness, releasing this debt, does not mean, does not mean that you like the person, does not mean that you want to now hang out with the person, does not mean that you're reconciled because the person might not receive it and repent of whatever they did. doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that, that you trust this person. It doesn't mean that you, you ever want to see them again. Maybe that this, this is the kind of person that you would, would never want to be hanging out with. Forgiveness is just releasing the debt. doesn't matter what your emotional state is or anything. You just let it go. So I'm dealing with this because it comes in the Lord's Prayer. And uh, so now we're going to read part of the Lord's Prayer um, and part of a section that comes after the Lord's Prayer. But I want us to read this together, okay? Um, because this is a communal prayer. It's an our father, not my father. And so let's read this together. Um, and even you who are at home, join us in reading this out loud. Um, because there's a solidarity that's created whenever a people group does something together. And, and, and our unity in the spirit does not... Geography is, is of no consequence to that. It doesn't matter if you're over in Hong Kong or Russia or wherever you are. Um, join us in this as we, 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 we uh, read this passage together. So Jesus said, pray then in this way. Let's all pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray it out. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and do not bring us to the time of trial but rescue us from the evil one then jumping forward a few verses read it together for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others neither will your father forgive your trespasses Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to listen carefully, listen closely, and listen with an open heart. I'll address what uh, this mean, what Jesus means when he says, don't bring us into the time of trial. I'll address that next week. This week I want to address this question. Is it the case that the Father's forgiving us depends on us forgiving others? Is it the case that if we don't forgive others, the Father won't forgive us? Because that seems to be what Jesus is teaching here. If, if you don't forgive others, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. Now, however we interpret this passage, and I'll come back to it here in a second, but however we interpret it, it's very clear that forgiveness is a matter of urgency. It's a, it's a, a high, highest priority. In some sense, and we'll have to unpack this, but in some sense, our forgiving others is 
inextricably bound up with God forgiving us and vice versa. So nothing could really be more important than that. <laughs> this is extremely important. The urgency of forgiveness uh, is stressed throughout Jesus' ministry. For example, in, in, in Matthew 18, we read this. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 70 times seven. Uh, now, some rabbis in Jesus' day taught that uh, we're, the people of God are obligated to forgive up to three times. That was kind of a common teaching back then. The idea was that if, if someone repeats the offense three times, they have never really repented of it. And so after three times, you say, I'm done. So when Peter says, how often should we forgive? Seven times? He, he probably thought he was being very, very generous. In fact, I suspect he was virtue signaling. Like, Jesus, I want you to know how much I get it. Should we forgive more than twice what the rabbis recommend? Oh, what a righteous guy. He probably expected Jesus to go, Oh, Peter, you really got it. Oh, that's excellent. But Jesus, undoubtedly, with a kind of wry smile, said, Well, Peter, uh, not, not seven times, 70 times seven. And um, in doing that, Jesus wasn't, all scholars agree, he wasn't specifying that you know, 491 is when you get to cut someone off. Uh, he wasn't saying, here's the point at which you're justified not forgiving. What he was saying there is, you never stop forgiving. Never conclude that someone is unforgivable. Never. Um, release that debt. Because see, re releasing the debt of another it's not, about, it's not about how often they've offended you or how serious the offense was. It maybe was incredibly grievous and terrible and unthinkable. But see, forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. It's about you getting free from hanging on to this debt because though you don't know it, that debt, hanging on to that debt, is eating away at you. It's killing you. It's sucking the life right out of you. We do it to retire our debt collector and turn it over to God so we can be set free. The importance of letting go. Of, of, of debts and of the anger that, that, that with, with, with which we hold them. Uh, and, and often the hatred, the animosity that comes along with that. The importance of letting all that go is stressed throughout the New Testament. Matter of urgency. So for example, Paul says this. I love this passage. Ephesians 4, uh, verses 26 and 27. He says, be angry. He uses the word there, orge, which literally just means hot. It's a normal word for angry. You get hot. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun, and here's how you would sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Here he uses a, a, a derivative word, paraorge. And do not make room for the devil. So orge is, 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 is well, we, we, we um, or, or, orge is the, the normal word for, for, for anger. But when we don't deal with that anger, when we don't release that anger, when we don't work through that anger quickly, we go to bed with it. The sun goes down on that anger, and now it becomes para-orge. The prefix para has a connotation of something down under, something submerged. So when you swallow that anger, when you stuff that anger, when you harbor that anger, it becomes anger down under, submerged anger, suppressed anger. It's sometimes translated bitterness. And see, para-orge, it's no longer about but the person did that offended you, that made you angry, once you swallow it it, 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 it becomes pervasive. It becomes a generalized anger. It begins to pollute your inner being. It's a poison. And that gives room for the devil 
to start working in your life. It gives the devil a foothold, a crack in the door. Start wreaking havoc in your life. It wreaks havoc on an emotional basis, on a psychological basis, on a spiritual basis. It screws us up. Swallowing orgay and making it para orgay, it's, it's like swallowing a bucket of COVID virus. It's going to make you sick, really sick, and it's lethal. It's that old adage, I'm sure all of us have heard it, that forgiveness or unforgiveness is like, like uh, drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Uh, it, the only one it harms is you, and that's why God is so emphatic on us getting rid of it. Um, Part of the, part of, and, and there's actually a lot of science now that, that, that confirms this. Over the last three decades, there's been a number of studies that are done that show that people who hang on to unforgiveness, they're not as healthy as people who let go of, of anger. Uh, hang on to unforgiveness. So those folks, they, they, they heal slower from, from accidents and from illnesses. They tend to, to have a higher incidence of strokes and cancer and other sorts of diseases. It's bad for you on every level. It feels like you're punishing the other person, but in fact, you're punishing yourself. That's why it's a matter of such urgency. One of the reasons that I'm so passionate about this particular topic, it's one I've had some experience with, but I've seen unforgiveness destroy people. I, 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 I've seen it. I've witnessed it where it just sucks the sweetness out of a person and the gentleness out of a person, the gratitude out of a person, the happiness out of a person. It affects their relationships. People who harbor unforgiveness tend to have less fulfilling relationships with others than people who let go of anger. It just destroys people. I've met people in older age who are just almost tombstones. They're just gutted for something that happened 60, 70 years earlier, but they're still hanging on to it. It sucks the life right out of them. They gave the devil a foothold, and the devil's been wreaking havoc in their life ever since. It's a matter of urgency. God's emphatic on the need for us to let go of that because he, he loves us and he knows how damaging it is for us. So it's a matter of urgency. So let's get back to the question. Is God's forgiveness of us dependent on us forgiving others? Now all of us who hold that the Bible's inspired and authoritative, uh, we understand this basic interpretive principle and that is that you have to interpret every passage of Scripture in light of the whole of Scripture. You, we interpret every part in light of the whole. And we interpret everything through the lens of, of, of Jesus Christ because it's all about him. So we have to look at what, what, what Scripture says about forgiveness in general and interpret what Jesus says here in light of that. And on that note, it's, it's significant to note that there's many passages of Scripture that reverse that order. Instead of saying that God's forgiveness of us depends on us forgiving others, there's many passages that teach that we are to forgive others because God has already forgiven us. So, for example, right after, um, right after Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, he says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you are marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Rather, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgive others the way God has forgiven you. So, we, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we are not tenderhearted towards one another, when we're not kind to one another, and we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't forgive. Not because we broke some arbitrary rule that God came up with, but because not forgiving is damaging to us. It sucks the life right out of us. But note here the order. He doesn't say that we, we're, we're to forgive others so that God will forgive us, but rather, our forgiving others is predicated on and motivated by the fact that God has already forgiven us. 
And that, in fact, is the way the New Testament usually talks about these things. So it raises this question. How can our forgiveness be predicated on and motivated by the fact that God has already forgiven us if God won't forgive us unless we forgive others? You can't have it both ways. Which one is it? We have here, folks, a theological conundrum. And that's what we're here to, 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 to resolve. Here, here, here's, how I, here's how I put this together. And, and it's just how I put it together. If you find a better way, then let me know. But it was 20 or 30 years ago, and I'm at the point in life where decades blend together, so I can't tell you if it was 20 or 30 years ago. It was somewhere around there. A long time ago, I was at a conference in Chicago, a theological conference. And in the course of this conference, I went out to lunch with a friend. And we were walking out of the cafe that we just had lunch in at this one point, and we heard this couple fighting in the parking lot. I mean, they were really going at it. And so I would like to say we went over there to make sure that no one was getting hurt, but I think we were just nosy. So we decided to check it out, and there's already some people kind of looking at this couple going at it. We got there just as the fight ended. And so I don't know what the fight was about, <clears throat> but I heard the last line, and the last line was the guy, as he was bolting out, running out, of the, getting ready to leave, he says to this girl, and I don't know if it was, it was his wife or his girlfriend, let's just go with girlfriend, he says to his girlfriend, I don't want and I don't need your blippity blip forgiveness. And then he storms off. Now, I'm not a Sherlock Holmes, but I surmise from the situation that uh, this guy did something that was very offensive to his girlfriend, that really wounded his girlfriend. But clearly his girlfriend was willing to forgive him. She says, I forgive you. But see, this guy didn't want that forgiveness. He was insulted by that forgiveness. He, he didn't think he needed that forgiveness, so he didn't want that forgiveness. He was insulted by it, and so he storms off. Now, ask the question, was that guy, was that man forgiven or not? And it's kind of like you have to go, well... Sort of, kind of, maybe. In one sense, yes, he was forgiven, but in another sense, no, he was not. He was forgiven from his girlfriend's side. She released him of that debt, so forgiveness had occurred. But see, he was not forgiven from his side precisely because he didn't think he needed it, and therefore he didn't want it. There's two sides to forgiveness here. Yes, he was forgiven. But see, that forgiveness did him no good because he wouldn't receive it. I think the same holds true of our relationship with God. There's a lot of scriptures that tell us that when Jesus died on the cross, all debts were paid. Uh, he wiped out the whole sin economy, praise God. Everything that stood between us and God was removed. If one died for all, Paul says, then all have died. Uh, uh, that's why Paul says that, 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 that as all were in Adam, so all are in Christ. He's speaking from God's side. God has released everything from Calvary. All has been forgiven. But see that... For that forgiveness to reach us to, on our side and to benefit us and transform us, we've got to recognize that we need that forgiveness and we've got to want that forgiveness. It's the first step in entering into a reconciled relationship with Abba Father. It's the first step in becoming a Christian. But even as Christians, listen up, there's things we can do and attitudes we can cultivate that block that forgiveness from reaching us. And from benefiting us. At the top of the list of the things that we can do and attitudes we can cultivate that block the forgiveness to getting, getting to us is our refusal to forgive others. 
When we refuse to release a debt and we, hate, we, we go to bed with our orge and it becomes para-orge, this pollutant, this virus, this disease, this cancer in our life, and we give the enemy a foothold, he begins to wreak havoc in our life on every level. And the first casualty of that havoc that the enemy wreaks in our life when we harbor unforgiveness is that it dulls our spiritual sensitivity. It, it lessens our capacity to see that we need forgiveness, and therefore it lessens our capacity to want forgiveness. And so it lessens our capacity to receive God's forgiveness. It blocks it. The poison of unforgiveness is sucking life right out of us. This disease is spreading, and it damages us spiritually. It's a matter of utmost urgency that we release this. I, I hope we're seeing this here. For us to receive the full forgiveness and love and life of God, our, our relationship with others is, 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 is inextricably wrapped up with our relationship with God. We read that on so many levels in the New Testament. Our refusal to love others blocks our ability to appreciate and to receive the love of God. We can't think that we can hold others, hold the debt over others' head and, and not forgive them. We can't think that we can do that and not interrupt the Father's forgiveness coming to us and reaching us and benefiting us and transforming us. It's a matter of utmost, utmost urgency. The thing is, sometimes you can harbor unforgiveness and it becomes such a habit of thought, you don't even know you're doing it anymore. But it's still sucking life out of you. So, how do we forgive? How do we release this debt? I'm going to just share five practical steps here that I find to be really helpful in doing this process. Number one, first thing is, acknowledge the wrong that was done to you and embrace the grief. And if the wrong that was done to you or done to a loved one was grievous, um, and if you've, especially if you've hung on to this anger for a long time, this can be really painful to do. Um, give yourself permission to enter into this to acknowledge the wrong, the full depth of the wrong, and embrace the grief that comes because of it. Here it's important to, to, rem to remember that Forgiveness does not in any way lessen the severity of what was done to you, the, the wrong that was done to you. There, there, some folks think that, that if you say, I forgive you, it somehow lessens the, the severity of the wrong that was done. It's like saying, I will never forgive is a way of just saying, what you did to me was that terrible. And I, and I get this. People are capable of doing nightmares, unthinkable things to other people. And no doubt some folks listening here have had that done to them. And when you reach that kind of level of pain, it's like words become inadequate, so you just go to every extreme possible. It's unforgivable what they did to me. And I understand the expression, and I empathize with that. But you see what a lie that is. What a terrible, demonic lie that is. It's a lie. And so deceptive, it's, it's, it's one of the most deceptive things I personally am aware of. I think it's one of the greatest tools of the enemy. Holding on to unforgiveness, it feels empowering. I will not forgive, but it's, it's actually sucking life out of you. It feels like you're collecting on a debt. You're paying me, but actually you're the one paying. Unforgiveness, to conclude that, does nothing other than condemn yourself to living now with this poisonous para and this enemy in your gut who's going to be wreaking havoc the rest of your life. Listen carefully, and you'll hear the Spirit saying, let it go. I don't know why this is hitting me so hard right now. 
I'm feeling it. Let it go. In fact, the Spirit's saying, please let it go out of love for you. He's saying, please let this go. Get in touch with that grief. Acknowledge it. it, is, it, it let it be as bad as it is. You've got to acknowledge that. We can't go to bed with it. So acknowledge the wound and acknowledge the grief. But then secondly, invite Jesus in on that grief. Invite Jesus in on that pain. Imagine Jesus, however you represent things in your mind, imagine, because the imagination is the inner sanctum where the spiritual truths become concrete, vivid, and experiential. Imagine Jesus on the inside of your grief. Because if, if, if the cross means anything, the God who's revealed on the cross is the God who out of love wants to be on the inside of your hell. That's what he does on the cross. He wants to be on the inside of your pain. That's how he does healing. That's how he transforms us. Let him all the way in. Let him all the way in. In fact, it will do your soul good to imagine Jesus grieving with you, crying with you. In fact, the truth is, and it will do your soul good to imagine this, is that Jesus grieves more than you. Because God loves you more than you love yourself, and God loves your loved one, if your loved one is wrong, more than you love them. Try to imagine that, that the heart of God breaks more than yours. He's on the inside of your pain. Number three, remember that you also have been released from an enormous debt, an enormous debt that you could not pay. You know, Jesus told this parable in Matthew 18, I don't have time to read it, but this parable of where he compares uh, what the debt that we incur before God when we sin to a servant that owes a king 10,000 talents. And the debt that we incur when, we, when someone wrongs us, the, the debt that's incurred towards us, he compares it to 100 denarii. Now, 10,000 talents, and Jesus in parables often uses hyperbole to make his point, it's a ridiculous sum of money. I mean, it's incredible. Um, I actually did the calculation on this, and it would have taken the average peasant who earns a denarii a day, on average, in Jesus' day, it would take them 274,000 years to work off that debt. Whereas the debt of 100 denarii would take a servant 100 days to work off that debt. Now, that's still a, a big debt, 100 days, but it's a fraction compared to the debt that's, that we incur before God. And this isn't about the severity of what was done, done to you, but it's, it's about who we're sitting against. And see, this is a, a, a concept that for us in modern Western culture, it's hard for us to get our brains around this. We, we, we have trouble grasping the severity of sin because we live in a culture that has virtually not only lost the sense that we're fallen, the sense of sin, but has lost the very concept of sin, Right? And, 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 and so we all tend to think that we're, we're pretty okay. Yeah, we're not perfect, but there's not much to forgive here. Not much to forgive here. See, what's tragic about that is that if you don't think that God forgiving you is a super, super big deal, then you're never going to see what a big deal it is for you to forgive others. We've got to understand. And, and here, the biblical worldview just clashes starkly with the typical American worldview. American worldview, we're... we're we're pretty okay. Not perfect, but we're pretty okay. Um, the biblical worldview says, yes, you, know, you're, you, you are fearfully, wonderfully made. You're in the image of God. You've got unsurpassable worth. You know? uh, you've got a dignity and a value that should be celebrated and cherished and always protected. That's absolutely true. The Bible also says that we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. And it paints a pretty dire picture for us. All of us. All of us. 
The Bible says we're dead in our sin. Apart from God's forgiveness, we're dead in our sin. We're slaves to sin. We're in bondage. We've got to understand this, that we feel good about ourselves because we tend to compare ourselves with one another. And we do that in a real biased way. But see, each other isn't the bar that we've got to satisfy. The bar is God, who is perfect love. And anything in our life that's other than perfect love sets us apart from God. And God is the source of life. So anything that sets us apart from God puts us on the road to death, to, to, to Gehenna, which is Jesus' words for just worst possible scenario. So Jesus says things like this, that, that, that if you look at someone to lust after them, you have committed adultery, because you have. In your head, you've committed adultery. You didn't act on it, maybe, because the social consequences would be too much, but you still committed adultery. And if you harbor hatred towards a brother, you're a murderer, because you murdered them in your brain. He says things like, every idol, every worthless word that you shall speak, Matthew 12, every worthless word you'll give account thereof on the day of judgment. Anyone here ever spoken a worthless word? Anyone here ever called someone a fool? Anyone here ever lusted after anyone? Anyone here ever wished that someone was dead? We're, we're adulterers, we're murderers, we're idle word speakers, and every one of those, if not forgiven, would set us on a road to death. We ask the Spirit to, to reveal to you the debt that you've been forgiven. Open your eyes to see what the American culture conditions us not to see. And that each of us, you may be relatively wonderful compared to other people, but see, that, that, that's irrelevant. If you've got to jump the Grand Canyon... It doesn't matter whether you can jump 25 feet or two inches, you end up in the same spot, right? So there's no really purpose in bragging on the way down to the bottom, hey, I jumped farther than you. <laughs> that's, that's, how we can, that's, that's what we do in our heads. Oh, I'm pretty good, look at that. No, the, the bar is God's perfect love, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us are in desperate need for forgiveness. And so ask the Spirit to open your eyes to see this. Because when you see this, when you really begin to grasp the enormity of the debt that you've been forgiven, well, it, it, it collapses our fallen instinct to judge other people, to look down on other people, and, and, and it, it positions us to be willing to forgive others. When you realize that you being forgiven is a super, super, super big deal, well, then it's less of a big deal for you to forgive others because you yourself have been forgiven this enormous debt. Fourth, let it go. Let it go. Just let it go. You've been hanging on to this, I, you owe me for I, however long you've been hanging on to it. Just let it go. Today's the day to let it go. Just release it. Turn it over to Abba Father. This means we have to trust. Listen to this closely, carefully, and with an open heart. It, it means we've got to trust Abba Father with justice. You turn it over to Abba Father and say, you will do the right thing. Whatever needs to be done, you'll do. You trust Abba Father to administrate justice. Trust Abba Father to right every wrong. Trust Abba Father to ensure that people will reap what they sow insofar as they need to reap what they, they've, they, they've sown. Because forgiving another person doesn't mean that there's not consequences for what they did. It's another lie we sometimes buy into. You surrender it over to Abba Father. This is why we, we, we read in Scripture over and over again in different ways. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Judgment is mine, says the Lord. Leave all vengeance, leave all judgment to God. Just let it go. Don't cling to that. When we cling to unforgiveness, we are playing God. Because the truth is only God is in the position to judge. I, I, as I do this, I, I, I open my, always open my palms like this as I'm praying this prayer. Because um, what we do with our physical body affects what, our soul. We're, we're holistic creatures. And so 
Pay attention to your body posture, what you do with your body in times of prayer and worship and, and, and the rest. But I open my palms. It's, just, it's a sign of release. And then you just pray, Abba, Father, I turn this debt that I've been trying to collect on for however long I've been trying to collect on, I turn it over to you. I surrender it to you. Abba, Father, I surrender to you my debt collector. I, I give up on that job. That's not my job. That's your job. And I, I turn it over to you. And then also surrender your pain and your anger. Abba, Father, take these and heal me from this and set me free from this. That is letting go. Doesn't mean that you're now going to be lovey-dovey with this person or even trust them or even want to see them. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't want to, that they shouldn't get justice and they shouldn't, they should avoid consequences for what they did. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means that you let it go. You turn it over to God. And then finally, number five, Pray for your enemies. And I, I, I'm going to tell you that since I announced this three weeks ago, I've been, I've been feeling the importance of this. Uh, several weeks ago, I, I asked every, anybody who was willing to join in this to covenant with God and with one another to pray for our enemies every day. To covenant, to pray for our enemies every day. I really think it's a Christian discipline that, that we ought to be doing all of our life. Uh, flexing that muscle. Um, the importance of this has just, just grown on me since I, 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 I first mentioned that. Here's something I never noticed before. Enemies is the only people group that, that Jesus, or so far as I know, the New Testament in general, commands us to pray for. Jesus doesn't say pray for Israel, pray for the Canaanites, or pray for the Samaritans, or the Hittites, or, or whatever. He says, pray for your enemies. We're, we're told to pray for individuals, the emperor, and things like that, but as a people group, Enemies is the only group that's mentioned. And that signifies something. And I think it's the only group that's mentioned because this is the hardest group to pray for. It's the hardest group to love, which is exactly why kingdom people who know what we're here to do and, and, and know whose image that we're, we're to be aspiring towards, Jesus Christ, uh, this should be what we are about. It's a muscle we've got to be flexing all the time. It's one of the most distinctive, beautiful things about the kingdom. Pray for your enemies. Who else does that today? People pray that their enemies get vengeance and destroyed and whatever, but who prays for their enemies? We ought to be the people that, that do that. And so I encourage everyone to covenant with the other members of Woodland Hills and with God to say, I will pray every day for the people that are hardest for me to pray for, the people that are hardest for me to want to see blessed. Um, we have a, a little reminder card that, that you can get online. Uh, just remind you to pray for your enemies, and then you can list who your enemies are that you're praying for. Um, and just take the top five. Maybe there's 50, I don't know. But, but the ones that, that, uh, um, that, you know, the, the, the folks that you would love to be able to loathe if you were to give in to your carnal nature. They just, they just disgust you. Uh, they're the ones that are screwed up the country or whatever line you want to give them. Pray for your enemies. And I want to encourage you, after you release this person from their debt, that you put them on that enemy list. Because see, here's the thing. However long you've been harboring this unforgiveness, whatever we do, we get good at doing. For better or for worse. And, and so it becomes a habit of our thought. It becomes just kind of what we do. And, and that doesn't change overnight usually. Don't think of forgiveness, especially if it's a really grievous offense. Something, something done to you or a loved one that was just terrible. You can't think of it as a one-and-done deal. It's a process. 
And, and, and because it was a habit of thought, if you're not careful, you'll find you pick up that unforgiveness again without even noticing it. By praying for your enemy every day, it reminds you it, it, to not pick up that, that I, I'm a debt collector mindset. Uh, praying for your enemies, it, it keeps you in, in that, that zone where your, your, your posture towards them is one that's positive. Um, praying for your enemies, it gives God a chance to work in your life, uh, to begin to change your heart and change your perception. Of, uh, of people. It gives God a chance to maybe show you a little bit about this person, what he sees. Um, it gives God a chance to download his heart for this person. Maybe the Lord will reveal to you or just help you imagine a, a, a story that helps explain your, your, the person who offended you or offended a loved one. Everyone's got a prequel. And that prequel doesn't excuse what they did, but it does help you understand what they did. Uh, what was it that screwed this person up? What, 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 how did this person get so dehumanized that they could think that they could do this to another person? Who messed this person up? And as you, it doesn't take away their, 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 their responsibility, but that's what you leave to God. God can sort that out. Our job is to look at them with compassion. And so I'll let the Lord can show you the story there. Uh, so that he, he gives God a chance to change our hatred into love our judgment into compassion. And in doing that, he's turning our bondage into freedom, praise God. Pray for your enemies. At first, at first this can be profoundly, profoundly difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, it, 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 at first, if, if, if it was a real grievous wrong that was done to you or a loved one, it can feel like you're being disingenuous because you don't feel it. Lord, I pray blessing on this person. And by the way, it's okay to pray, Lord, free this person from the bondage they're in, uh, the, the, the wrongs that they're doing, free them from that. Um, but, it, you pray, but it will feel like, because you're in the habit of hating the person, it can feel disingenuous. But I encourage you to keep on doing it out of sheer obedience. At first it's like, Lord, will you just bless the son of the father? Uh, <laughs> It feels just, but continue on with it. And what begins in obedience can begin to be transforming as God works in your life to soften your heart, uh, to release that debt. To, and you'll know that you are, have arrived when you no longer see the person as the enemy. You realize that the enemies are not flesh and blood, but the principalities and powers. So I encourage you to pray for that person that you released until you get to that point. And at that point, now then think of another enemy that you need to pray for. It's a matter of urgency that we forgive. It's a matter of urgency that we stay in that forgiveness by praying for our enemies. It is the only way, I'll end with this, it's the only way to no longer be defined by what the person did to you. As long as you're hanging on to that, that you owe me, to that degree, your life, who you are, is being defined by them. Think about that. To that degree, they're Lord of, over your life. Do you want that? Uh, but when we release that and now pray for our enemies and get free of all that, now we're defined by what Jesus has done for us. And that should be our goal. Uh, not to be defined by what others do to us, but to be wholly defined by what Jesus did for us on Calvary. Praise God. And now you are set free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Spirit, the Spirit is saying, please let go. Please, for your sake, let go. Think of now a person who has wronged you. In fact, I'd like to see if this is your heart. Don't do this if this isn't in your heart. But if it is in your heart, will you covenant with God and with others? As we all are doing this to release whatever debts that we've been trying to collect on. 
And can we covenant to then be praying for our enemies to the point where we can genuinely love our enemies despite the despicable, despicable, maybe terrible nightmares things that they did to you or a loved one. Abba, Father, wants you set free. Uh, Lord, work in our hearts to let it go, to let it go, to, to be people who, who, who dance in your freedom and are not in bondage to the things that have been done to us or to loved ones. Set your people free to dance in your love, in your grace, in your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. And all God's forgiven people said, amen. Amen. Praise God. Uh, let me remind you that we uh, have uh, prayer uh, online and in the house here. If you could use some prayer for any matter, it maybe is this matter of, of, of letting go and praying for enemies. Uh, on Tuesdays, we've got the MuseCast, which uh, it goes a little deeper into the message. I'd like, encourage you to check that out. We've got gathering groups in, throughout the week. We encourage you to get on, on, on those gathering groups and talk with people from around the country and sometimes around the world. Uh, uh, go a little deeper with the message and, and meet some fine folks. And if you're going to be on site next week, let us know ahead of time so that we can make sure that we have enough child care workers to be instructing our youngins throughout the service. God bless you in Jesus' name. Forgive and be forgiven. Amen.